Hey everyone, this is Greg Schutz for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready For The Draft podcast. If you've tuned into previous podcasts, you know I've been dealing with a torn Achilles tendon, suffered end of December uh, on vacation out in California. Uh, we're about, what, just over a month in, in terms of uh, post-injury. Didn't have to have surgery. I'm actually up walking on it in a boot, actually looking at physical therapy in about three weeks. I know total recovery time is going to be about a year, but uh, so far, knock on wood, you know, uh, this has probably been about as as good as uh, as I could have hoped. You know, it, it's gone this far, and I'll tell you, it's it's a weird injury because I, I go into the doctor's office and he's pressing on the Achilles tendon, on and around that, and all the way up and down my lower leg, and I don't really feel a whole lot of pain. Obviously, you know, if if I would actually stand on it, make it weight bearing, um, I'm sure that the pain would be agonizing. But to this point, it hasn't been too bad, so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely thankful for that. Um, Super Bowl 53 this past weekend in the books, New England Patriots, 13 to three winners over the Los Angeles Rams, Julian Edelman, the Super Bowl MVP, virtually un, unguardable, uh, especially coming across the middle. Um, you know, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady cementing their legacy as the best quarterback head coach duo, uh, 13 to three, you know, not a offensive scoring, um, you know, performance by any stretch of the imagination, but you did have two of the top defensive minds in the game, Wade Phillips, Bill Belichick, really duking it out there. Um, so with the Super Bowl finally behind us, we can focus on the NFL draft and that's why we're here. Pre-draft process, obviously we have the combine in just under a month in uh, in Indianapolis, there at Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, you'll have pro days and individual workouts. Free agency will also hit as well. Uh, my first mock draft is actually on the website. I've got a two uh, two round mock draft on readyforthedraft.com, and uh, obviously I'll have quite a few mock drafts as we get for, move forward, especially after some of the workouts, uh, the combine. There are a lot of things where draft stock will move up and down. Um, you know, Hassan Reddick was one after the his performance at the Senior Bowl, and then uh, coupled with the performance at the combine, his stock rose dramatically, ultimately culminating in, in being drafted in the first round there by the Arizona Cardinals. Speaking of which, Arizona Cardinals happen to be on the clock right now, and really that's, you know, we can kind of start kicking things off and talking about this mock draft with the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals, really a, a disappointing season. Steve Wilkes, their one, his one and only season there with, with the Arizona Cardinals, a 3-13 and year. Uh, they did bring in Josh Rosen to be their quarterback, and uh, up and down season for, for Josh, but... Uh, you know, really, it was it was the the defense that underperformed. While they they did have the fourth ranked pass defense, um, they were last against the run, giving up 154.9 yards per game. Um, they did do a, a pretty decent job getting after the quarterback uh, with 49 sacks on the year, good for fifth in the league. Um, but you know, defensively, you know, there were some lapses there. Obviously, when you have a quarterback like Josh Rosen, um, you know, who's brand new, running, running things, you're gonna, ha- you're gonna struggle. You know, and that was the, you know, the last in terms of of passing offense, uh, just 200. Let's see, 157.7 passing yards per game, just you know, 2,523 yards total on the year. 
more interceptions than touchdowns, 15 to ju- 15 touchdowns to 18 interceptions, really a dismal performance, you know, for that offense as a whole. And then, uh, you know, if you take a look at the, the, the running game, you know, again, finishing dead last in, uh, in all of, uh, in, in the entire NFL. So what do the Cardinals do? Steve Keim, uh, let's Steve Wilkes go and is looking for the next young offensive-minded head coach. You see Sean McVay, you see Matt Nagy, the success of the younger head coach. So what does Steve Kime do? But he looks for the next guy, and, and that is Kit, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Now, Cliff Kingsbury, kind of a curious hire just based on the fact that he was 5-7 and seven with Texas Tech and uh, was fired from his job. So it's it's not often that you see a head coach fired from a, from a collegiate head coaching position only to take on an NFL head coaching position. But what Cliff Kingsbury is known for is the spread air raid type offense. That's why he was hired as the offensive coordinator there at USC was there less than a month before he ended up jumping to the jumping ship and moving on to the NFL. But what he is known for is developing quarterbacks. And he's done that with Case Keenum at Houston with Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M. And of course the NFL MVP, Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. So you bring him in, you have him develop Josh Rosen. And uh, I think that's going to, be a a nice fit. I don't know, you know, now that I say that, um, you know, is Josh Rosen going to be a guy that can run the air raid type offense? You know, I I think the, the, the jury will be out there, but he didn't run a lot of pistol set, um, while at UCLA. So it's not out of the realm of possibility there. You know, I, I think he was the most NFL ready quarterback coming into the draft a season ago. And, uh, you know, really at this point, you know, the, the offense only direction you can go is up. Um, but in a defensive, um, heavy draft at the very top of the draft, you have to expect the Cardinals are going to be looking to find a playmaker in Vance Joseph's 3-4 scheme. Yes, Vance Joseph, uh, fired as the defense, uh, the Denver Broncos head coach, comes in, brings his 3-4 defense. You know, the Cardinals, they were a 4-3, um, 43 defense primarily. Uh, as a season ago. So Vance Joseph bringing in a 3-4, you're going to have to have that adjustment period with the personnel uh, to bring in guys that will actually fit. Um, so if you look at the roster, a lot of guys that really, you look at them and it's more of a 4-3 scheme, I think Chandler Jones will be perfect as a 3-4 as a outside linebacker. We've already seen him do that, especially with the New England Patriots. He led the team in sacks a season ago. Um Double-digit sacks once again with 13, um, but he he doesn't have a running mate. Um, Marcus Golden is a a free agent, um, and uh, the, the question is going to be whether or not he's going to be back if uh, the Cardinals are going to sign him. Um, but if you're looking for other pass rushers coming off the edge, who's that edge rusher really going to be? And uh, you know it, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody on the roster who would be a viable option there. So really, the question then becomes. Who's it going to be that's going to be putting that pressure on the quarterback with Chandler Jones? Is it going to be Nick Bosa, who I think is widely regarded as the the top prospect uh, for much of the season? Um, you know, only got to play in in three games due to that that core injury, um, but it sounds like he's he's back to to full health. We'll be able to see him at the combine, um, or is it going to be Josh Allen, the dynamic pass rusher uh, at Kentucky? Now, here here's the, here's the thing. You know, I, I think it was a foregone conclusion that, hey, it's going to always be Nick Bosa as the number one overall pick. And as I'm talking right now, it sounds like there's a downpour going on outside. Um, rain coming down pretty good. 
But uh, yeah, Nick Bosa, widely regarded as the number one overall pick. And I think it really was a foregone conclusion that he would be the number one pick. But here's the deal. In a 3-4 scheme, will Nick Bosa and his skills uh, as an edge rusher translate to that 3-4 outside linebacker position? You know, it, it, not everybody is able to make that transition. We did see that with Bradley Chubb, an elite pass rusher, still able to to get to the quarterback coming off the edge, able to do that in Vance Joseph's scheme there with the Broncos. And, and you know, Nick Bosa, the, the explosion off the ball, that quick first step, gets into the backfield in a hurry, and then those violent, just so quick with his hands and so violent with his hands. You see a variety of pass rush moves from the chop uh, to the club to the rip. Uh, you just see him beating the offensive lineman right there off the snap. And if you play him in space and you give him a head start, uh, you know, he's really going to make offensive linemen's lives miserable. But, you know, you still want to see, can he play in space? Does he have that flexibility um, to be able to drop into coverage? Wasn't really asked to do that much for the Buckeyes. On the flip side, you've seen that out of Josh Allen. Not only did he play with his hand in the dirt, but he was also uh, playing in space as a rush, uh, stand-up rush end for uh, for the Wildcats. And you also saw him drop back into coverage. If you've listened to my podcast, you've heard me talk about Josh Allen playing against Texas A&M, uh, lined up covering uh, Jay Sternberger on a on a corner route and able to get back into coverage, get depth, and be able to get a hand in and knock that football away. Showed tremendous athleticism in coverage. Um, you know, really, I think, opened a lot of eyes uh, with his play. And so I don't think, you know, I, I think Josh Allen has definitely narrowed the gap. We are going to be paying attention to the combine and some of those individual workouts for Nick Bosa. Um, is he going to be that guy that can play in space? Um, that's going to be the, the big question. I think at the end of the day, Nick Bosa is going to be the first overall pick. Um, but if it is Josh Allen, you know, don't be surprised because I think he's definitely narrowed the gap, um, you know, showed that he is the one of the premier pass rushers in all of college football and, uh, you know, a, a guy who um, has a variety, you know, can get to the quarterback in a variety of ways, um, which kind of leads us into the San Francisco 49ers. If um, Nick Bosa is taking number one overall, this pick is going to be Josh Allen and, and vice versa. Um, Nick Bosa, you know, I think translates a little bit better to a 4-3 scheme. At least you see that, uh, you know, with his play there for the Buckeyes. Um, but, uh, you know, either way, one of the two of them probably going to be that number two overall pick for the 49ers. Why? Well, when, when you look at the 49ers, you have uh, DeForest Buckner, uh, 12 sacks on the year, was really a, a force uh, for the 49ers up front. But, uh, you know, the, the guys that really, you know, you had a two uh, former first rounders in Eric Armstead and Solomon Thomas, four sacks between the two of them. They were outplayed uh, by lesser known uh, rush ends in, in Ronald Blair and Cassius Marsh, um, you know, five and a half sacks apiece. So really outplayed those guys. So DeForest Buckner needs somebody, needs a running mate um, to get after the quarterback up front. Um, Earl Mitchell's a, an unrestricted free agent. Um, what you can really expect is Solomon Thomas staying inside. I thought he played a lot better um, inside at defensive tackle. Um, Eric Armstead, you know, really 2016, 2017, hampered by injuries. Uh, you know, there is nine million that's coming to him. Um, you know, but he's somebody who I think needs to really prove himself at at this point. 
Um, but look, the 49ers, you know, they were they're you know, 4.1 yards per carry against the run. Um, so they are, um, you know, we're pretty stout a season ago, um, against the run. They really need to get after that quarterback though. And I'm looking at Josh Allen first and foremost. Um, if Nick Bosa is off the board, I think that'll be a no brainer. That shouldn't take them very long to get that card up to the commissioner, um, to really make that, uh, make that pick happen. Is there an outside chance that this could be? Uh, Quinn and Williams get an interior presence. Um, it's always possible, but you know when you look at the roster, a lot of interior players really on that lineup, um, and you know in that four-three scheme, you're going to need an edge rusher, um, which makes makes sense. You have to take either Nick Bosa or Josh Allen, which takes us to the Jets, New York Jets. Todd Bowles out as the the head coach there. Um, so you have Adam Gase that comes in, um, you know, 25th ranked defense and uh, 29th ranked uh, total o- in total offense. You know, they brought in uh, Sam Darnold as the um, as the starter, and you saw some flashes there. You know, I think he needs some tools around him. Adam Gase is brought in as a new head coach to really work with Sam Darnold a bit, and uh, you know, I think that'll add some stability there for him. But uh, defensively, you know, Adam Gase bringing in Greg Williams, that attacking style of, uh, of defense, very aggressive, looking to get after the quarterback when and wherever possible. Um, you know, if Quinn and Williams does go in the top two, I think then absolutely you're going to see one of those, those rush ends taken here by the Jets. Because look, Greg Williams, when you're looking at his defense, he's always had that edge right that premier edge rusher whether it was with the Saints and Will Smith um you know or or you know even with the Rams uh, Aaron Donald with that interior presence but you know with the Broncos I'm sorry with the Browns Miles Garrett was his his uh his guy that he really built that defense around as a rush end um but that interior presence you know as I spoke with with Aaron Donald with the Rams Quinn and Williams is just a game wrecker on the inside, virtually unblockable. This was a kid, you know, didn't get a ton of playing time, you know, a, a season prior. And, uh, you know, Deron Payne was the was the guy that uh, was getting that starting job. But as a redshirt sophomore, just, you know, that, that quickness, that, that burst off the ball, his ability to just beat that center, um, you'd see a quick arm over, and he was into the backfield, shooting double teams and, and being able to convert that speed to power and uh, driver's man back into the backfield. Um, you know, the, you had to put two and three guys on him. And even then he was still finding a way to, to shoot those gaps and, and beat double teams and, you know, affect both the pass and the run um, really a, a special player. And to me, you know, I, I think he's one of the most dynamic defensive tackles that we've seen since Indomitian Sue. When Indomitian Sue was ranked, you know, came in as the second overall pick uh, in 2012 to the Lions, um, you know, you saw him taking over games. And, and Quinton Williams was doing just that. You know, he was getting up into the field, up the field, getting early penetration, affecting the run plays, even if he wasn't the guy making the tackle on the football. He was the one that was affecting the plays, forcing the running back outside or he'd, he'd force him back inside and just really um, blowing plays up before they even happen, taking his man and driving him back into the running back right into the mesh point. Um, and then against the, the pass, you know, using his hands, using his quickness off the football and uh, really 
getting in and getting to the quarterback. Um, so when you look at the Jets, Quinn and Williams, to me, you put him in there and, and look, you know, I, I think Leonard Williams, he's definitely unper- underperformed since he was brought in. Um, in, in 2015, he's the defensive tackle. He's a 43 defensive tackle. Um, and I think he was playing out of out of position as a five technique in Todd Bowles' system. And uh, it really showed. He, he wasn't really the, the type of player that you saw him coming out of USC. And uh, you put him next to Quinn and Williams on the interior of that line. And I think that makes... Um, automatically makes the interior of that defensive line that much better by by having Leonard Williams um, back where he's more most comfortable. I mean, when you look at Tampa Bay, and we'll, we'll be talking about Tampa here in a minute, but Gerald McCoy is a 43 defensive tackle. You know, he 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 belongs playing next to another interior lineman, and he's going to be asked to be playing out of position in Todd Bowles' defense. Um, if you were to play, you know, the five technique and, uh, look, you know, I, I think that basically spells the end of, of, uh, of Gerald McCoy in Tampa. Um, so Leonard, Leonard Williams, he's going to get a, another shot here. And I think, you know, playing next to, to Quinn and Williams, you've got a nice one, two punch there on the interior of that line. Um, so you're, you're, you're definitely going to expect the jets to do some more, uh, house cleaning, um, you know, Henry Anderson led the team in sacks with seven a season ago. He's a he's a five technique, you know. So I, I expect him to leave as a free agent. Uh, Steve McClendon, you know, big nose tackle, a guy who you put in the middle of of your thirty four defense. I think he leaves in free agency as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, you've got Nathan Shepard, you've got Foley Fatukasi, two more guys who probably were playing out of position as five techniques. You know, they'll be able to add into that rotation on the inside. Now, you know, if if they get Quinn and Williams, the next step will be trying to find some of those edge edge rushers. Whether they, whether they do that in free agency or later on in the draft, expect them to start looking at that. You'll also need to have some athletic linebackers uh, moving around there, and I, I I think you'll you'll see the Jets start to really build that roster out. Uh, but it's got to start up front, which leads us to the Oakland Raiders, number four overall. Uh, Oakland, look. Um, you know, this was a, a very interesting first year for John Gruden. You know, he's, he's got a, you know, a 10 year contract and he's definitely in there for the long haul. Um, but, uh, you know, Oakland trades, they're, they're one of the top defenders in, in the entire league and, and Khalil Mack to the bears. And we saw what one player can do to invigorate a defense. You know, this guy was a game wrecker coming off the edge and was dominant throughout the season. And then what do they do? You know, just a, a month later, um, or I guess really about a month and a half later, they trade their number one wideout, Amari Cooper. You know, those are two first round picks that they gave up. Um, they trade Amari Cooper to the Dallas Cowboys. And that really marked the beginning of the Dallas Cowboys ascension um, in the NFC East and really led to their, their playoff run. Um, well, with Amari Cooper gone, you know, really what happened was they now have three first round picks. So where do they go with those picks? Obviously when you're sitting at number four, if for whatever reason, you know, a team trades up and is able to snag one of the quarterbacks, um, that's the only way I can really see any of those top three players dropping to Oakland at number four. Um, you know, with that said, Oakland's going to need to find an elite pass rusher, you know, an edge rusher coming off the edge because of the fact that they had just 13 total sacks 
a season ago. That was the fewest in the league and 17 full sacks shy of the next closest team. I mean, that that's staggering when you talk about their, their ineptitude in terms of getting after the quarterback. Um, you know, is there a chance that Cleveland Farrell from, uh, I'm sorry, Cleveland Farrell uh, from Clemson, you know, he could be a viable option here. Oakland could decide to trade down, though. I, I don't think that, you know, I think this is a little high um, for Furl. Um, if the Raiders did want to trade down, gain some more picks, then that, you know, he would make sense, as would Montez Sweat. Um, I just don't see that happening at this point, um, you know, with this with this pick. Now, here's here's something to think about, and here's a development that I really want people to start thinking about. Kyler Murray out of Oklahoma. Remember a season ago, I was talking about Baker Mayfield, the Oklahoma quarterback. If Cleveland wanted to change their culture, that losing culture, you take Baker Mayfield. Did not think John Dorsey was going to do it, but I said it from day one and said it every single podcast. And uh, lo and behold, you see what Baker Mayfield has done uh, for the city of Cleveland and the Browns. Um, So what does that mean? You know, you have Derek Carr on the roster. Yes. And he's entering year three of a five-year deal worth $125 million. Now, look, if Carr is released after the 2019 seasons, the Raiders would only be looking at a, a $7.5 million uh, dead space value, uh, and that's according to Spot Track. Um, you know, the question then would be, is Gruden really sold on Carr, or is he preferring to bring in his own guy? Um, that's really going to be the question. And, you know, Kyler Murray, you know, could very well be on, on John Gruden's radar. You know, Mike Mayock, if he wants to make a splash... Look at Kyler Murray. You know, here's the thing. Kyler Murray, yes, the the height, everyone's going to talk about that. He's 5'9", 5'10", and, uh, you know, that's definitely going to be an issue. He's not the biggest guy uh, in the world either. But in this game, you know, where you really have this passing offense, you know, quarterbacks that are able to, you roll them out a lot more, um, being able to manipulate the pocket. You see Russell Wilson do that with success. You see Baker Mayfield doing that with success. There's no reason why Kyler Murray couldn't also be successful. His offensive line was one of the biggest in all of college football, and he did just fine seeing, seeing the entire field. You know, what you have here is you have a baseball player who's playing football and his ability to throw the football on the run 40, 50, 60 yards down the field effortlessly, just a flick of the wrist, basically looks like a you know a center fielder cutting loose with the football, throwing it uh, to the cutoff man or even gunning it at home. Um, you know, his ability to change his arm angles and uh, just that overall athleticism. I'm really curious to see if he does run at the combine, what that 40 is going to be. Um, you know, he said in, in an interview once that he thinks that he would actually beat Marquise uh, Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown in, in a 40. You know, he said the sprinter speed, I don't think I beat him in 100 meters, but uh, he thinks he could get him in, a, in the 40. And, you know, I, 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 it's, just, it's one of those things, you know, you look at uh, Kyler Murray, the baseball player, number nine overall pick in the 2018 Major League Baseball draft. Uh, $4.6 million uh, signing bonus there with the A's. But where's their AAA affiliate? They now have a new AAA affiliate in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Aviators. Where will the Oakland Raiders be playing their football in 2020? Las Vegas. Coincidence? You know, what's what's going to be interesting is you know you've got the Oakland Raiders, you've got the Oakland Athletics, and that's what everyone sees. But when you're talking about Vegas, AAA affiliate, 
for the A's and the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, that stadium is just going to be right across, uh, you know, I-15 from the, the Las Vegas Strip. And, uh, you know, being able to potentially play baseball and football, that could be intriguing. They said the only way that that's really going to happen is if he's playing both sports in the same city. And this is a good chance for that to happen. If they do take Kyler Murray number one over, or I'm sorry, with the number four overall pick, they still have the 24th overall pick and the 27th overall pick to do some things. They can get a pass rusher with the 24th overall pick. You know, there are going to be guys like like Jalen Ferguson, uh, Ja'Kai Polite, um, you know, among others that will be down there around that, that 24th pick, be able to use that. They can also use the 27th pick on a number one wideout. You know, maybe Nikhil Harry, uh, Hakeem Butler, uh, Kev- Kelvin Harmon could be available there. You could go tight end. Uh, Jared Cook or is a, a free agent, so you could potentially see them going with Noah Fant, possibly even TJ Hawkinson, the, the Iowa duo there, um, possibly even go running back. You know, what's the, the future for Marshawn Lynch? You could potentially take Alabama's Josh Jacobs there at number 27 overall. So the Oakland you know, Raiders have a lot of options, even if they don't go um, you know, with a, a pass rusher here at the number four overall pick, um, if they do take Kyler Murray. It's not out of the realm of possibility. You know, a lot of people have come out and said that they don't think Derek Carr is going to be able to lead this team. Um, and you know, that's that's definitely a concern um, overall. You know, when you look at Derek Carr, though, you know, he's, you know, the 12th in, in yards, over 4,000. Um, you know, he, he's someone who I think is, is starting to progress. But um, you know, is John Gruden really satisfied? You know, and you've seen him already get rid of Khalil Mack. You've seen him get rid of Amari Cooper. Derek Carr may be the next one to go. You know, I, I don't think he's necessarily the one to go in 2019. I think he played Derek Carr. And then uh, Kyler Murray takes over in 2020. Um, I think that's probably, if Kyler Murray is taken, that's what's going to happen. So it'll be interesting development to see what what really goes on there with Oakland. Kyler Murray also has to ultimately decide that he is going to play football. Um, and we still don't know for sure if you watch the or got to listen to the Dan Patrick or even watch it if you have uh, DirecTV and Uverse. Um, if you got to watch that or listen to that interview, uh, Dan Patrick grilled him and he didn't really say a whole lot. So I think the the jury's still out, but uh, you know if you know everyone may he may know something that we don't. You know if the if the A's has Billy Bean already been in contact with Mike Mayock. You know it, it's something that uh, we'll have to see as as we get closer and closer to this draft. So I said we were going to talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Here they are, number five overall. I think they had high hopes coming into 2018, uh, but. Uh, you know, five and eleven record definitely disappointing. Dirk Cutter um, is shown the door, and Bruce Arians comes in, takes the helm. Bruce Arians, we know what he's done. You know, in Arizona, uh, Carson Palmer really resurrecting his career. Can he do the same thing with Jameis Winston? Between Winston and Fitzmagic, Ryan Fitzpatrick, they actually led the league. You know, with over 320 passing yards per game. You know, really, it was the running game that just managed a disappointing 95.2 yards per game. Um, so when you look at that running game, it's a possibility. You know, I saw that Dar- Daniel Jeremiah had uh, Josh Jacobs here at number five overall. I think that's a little high for 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 Josh Jacobs. I think he's more of a, a guy who's gonna you're gonna see down at the the uh, 
later portion of the first round, the back half, um, is, is where Josh Jacobs could come off the board. Um, but round two, round three, Tampa could be looking at at potentially a running back. You know, especially if they're not sold on on Ronald Jones, um, who uh, grossly underachieved uh, a, a season ago. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what what happens there. You know, offensively, um, but you know, on defense. Todd Bowles, again, let go by the Jets. He comes in and brings in his heavy 3-4 scheme to Tampa. Now, I said that Gerald McCoy likely not going to be a good fit. Probably has played his last game in Tampa. So if he's leaving, you have Vita Vea there at the nose tackle position. You're probably going to need a 3-4 defensive end. And, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of people talking about Houston's Ed Oliver. To me, Ed Oliver is an interior pass rusher like Aaron Donald in a, a 43 defense. I don't see him uh, having that success um, as a as a five technique. You know, they're saying that he's probably going to show up at the combine under 280. Um, you know, that, that quick first step. Look, I, I want to see that on the interior. I really don't want to see that in a, in a 34 defense, although... You know, if Todd Bowles, if he's going to be lining up, you know, if he gets that little hybrid where he is lining four across, you might be able to take advantage of that. But he is so heavy with that 3-4, I don't know that Ed Oliver is going to be the right fit. If there is going to be a defensive end that you take there, it's going to be Rashawn Gary. Michigan's Rashawn Gary. And you know how I feel about Rashawn. You know, it's all about potential with him. It's not about the production. You know, you're waiting for him to have just a, a blow-up year and uh, you didn't really see that this year. And I was expecting to see him, you know, virtually be unblockable, take over games. You know, when you're talking about taking a guy in the top five, top ten, they've got to be a guy that defenses or offenses or defenses are keying in on every step of the way. A season ago, you know, 58 tackles, 11 and a half for loss, five and a half sacks. And he was that was primarily a, uh, um, a role. Um, you know, it was more or less a, uh, um, a a reserve role. He wasn't a full time starter. He comes back. You know, obviously, you know, battled through some injuries, but uh, just six and a half tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. To me, I, you know, when you put the tape on, you see Chase Winovich making plays more so than than Rashawn Gary. There are the flashes. You do see. Um, him one-on-one just taking on guys and throwing people all over the yard, um, you know, and, and being able to beat them with both power and speed. But you don't see that on a consistent basis. And for me, if I'm looking at the potential, those are the guys that I want to take, um, you know, in, in those mid picks somewhere in the teens. Uh, that's really where Rashawn Gary should be coming off the board. Um, so if we don't have that at 34, you know, that five technique that's going to be fitting in here, then where does where does Tampa go? I believe that really what you have to look for is, um, you know, an athletic linebacker. Todd Bowles, his offense is predicated on having those athletic linebackers who can roam free. I think even if they take uh, Quan Alexander, they re-sign him on the interior um, they're going to need additional linebackers to help out. You know, now you you do have Levante David likely playing on the outside. Kendall Beckwith um, can play inside or outside, but uh, I think to really shore up that group, you got to go Devin White. You know, he's this year's Roquan Smith. You know, a, a guy to me who can come in 
and really become the leader of a defense day one. Back-to-back 100 tackle seasons, um, you know, 286 in his three-year career, 28 and a half tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks, uh, nine pass breakups. So he understands, um, you know, the ability, you know, dropping back into coverage, um, knows what to do when he arrives at the football. Four uh, forced fumbles in his career as well, including three as a junior. Uh, so, so to me, Devin White makes the most sense here. You know, when you look at some of those in, interior, uh, those inside linebackers, you know, Jack Sitchie, Riley Bulla, uh, Corey Nelson, not really guys, if you're talking about athletic um, playmaking linebackers that are able to roam free, you don't really see that on the roster right now. Um, you know, when he was with the Jets, you had guys like like Darren Lee um, running around there on the interior that, that – uh, that linebacking core, and I think that's the type of linebacker he's looking for, and Devin White is definitely that guy. 6'1", 248 pounds. To me, Devin White makes a lot of sense here for Tampa um, with the number five overall pick, which then takes us to the New York football giants, as uh, ESPN's Chris Berman likes to say. The G-men, look, we've been talking about it for years, Eli Manning, you know, where is he at? You know, what is he on the decline? Is he going to be able to continue to play at a high enough level to be a starter at the, at the next level, or I'm sorry, at the, you know, at the, at the highest level, I should say, you know, 38 years of age, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the 2019 season. So what, what do Dave Gettleman and the Giants do? Um, you know, he has been the Iron Man in his position, but he was sacked 47 times, which is the most of his career. That offensive line really struggling. You got Nate Solder and Will Hernandez on the left side, right side, lots of question marks. So, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Jonah Williams, you know, Jawan Taylor um, could be targets here, possibly even uh, Andre Dillard, um, arguably the best pure pass protector in this draft. Um, so those are definitely viable options. Um, you know, and look, you know, his Eli's body is not going to bounce back like it used to father time is always undefeated. And, uh, you know, at some point those hits are going to add up. Um, but look, you know, Eli has proven, um, you know, this year that, you know, his, uh, let's see, he's coming off a year highest completion percentage of his career at 66%, um, 4,299 passing yards were the most since, uh, 2015, and 11 interceptions, that was his lowest total since 2008. So, you know, that's one of the things when you look at, at Eli, he still has some juice left in the tank. He still has a uh, another year or two under his belt. Again, he signed through 2019. Um, and then at that point, Dave, Dave Gettleman's going to have to make a decision. You know, he's already got Saquon Barkley at running back, your NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. You've got a Pro Bowl wideout in Odell Beckham Jr. You've got uh, you know one of the more athletic tight ends in Evan Ingram, a vertical threat there at the tight end position. You know, mismatch nightmare up the seam. You need a quarterback. You know, the splash play would be to do whatever it takes to get Kyler Murray. You know, you imagine Murray, Saquon Barkley would make things really interesting there in New York. But I think the safer pick, the safer bet here for the Giants is going to be Dwayne Haskins. Look, Dwayne Haskins put the the Buckeyes offense on his back down the stretch in 2018, led him to a Big Ten championship. And uh, to me, 
you know, you watch Dwayne Haskins play, and he's probably the most NFL-ready quarterback of anybody that's out there on the market right now. Um, you know, he was someone early on in the year really showed off his ability to run the short to intermediate routes, a lot of the crossing routes. I think that's one of the things that you really saw in Ryan Day's offense. Those those receivers, Paris Campbell, KJ Hill, uh, Terry McLaurin, um, really running a lot of those crossers, and he did an excellent job you know, putting that ball where only his man can make a play on the football, hit him in stride so they can uh, get up the field without losing stride. I thought that you know that accuracy was something that you could really speak to. And you know, he's only played one year as a starter, but if you remember Mitchell Trubisky last year, you know, or I'm sorry, two years ago, um, when the Bears ultimately took him number two overall, he only played one year as a starter. And you see what, what he's been able to accomplish there in the Bears um, you know, with, under uh, Matt Nagy. So to, you, you look at it, that's the question. You know, Can Pat Shermer really um, do the same thing with Dwayne Haskins? Now, Haskins, you know, 70% completion percentage, over 4,800 yards, 50 touchdowns and just eight interceptions. I mean, the 50 touchdowns is just... It's staggering just how well he played down the stretch. That running game just disappeared. I don't. I just don't know what happened. You had J.K. Dobbins. You had Mike Weber pounding the football and really took some of that pressure off of Dwayne Haskins. And then all of a sudden it went away. That running game just kind of disappeared. And Dwayne Haskins had to start airing the football. And boy, did he ever. You know, being able to throw that deep ball with accuracy, just drop it in a bucket and the ball placement – um, anticipation and ball placement were second to none. Being able to put the ball where only his receiver can go up and get it, um, you know, it was just remarkable to me. I think that Giants, you know, with Dwayne Haskins, that's a match made in heaven. And uh, I really hope that uh, Haskins is around when the Giants get to pick at number six overall. Hello, Figaro. My Silver Lab Figaro uh, has decided to join us here. Um, and has proceeded to fall asleep. She snores in her sleep, so you know I apologize now for uh, any of those loud noises that you hear. Um, that's just Figaro saying hi. So number seven, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, you know, look, expectations obviously high for this team. Um, just one year removed from an AFC Championship, just lost to the Patriots, twenty-four twenty. Um, you know. Another year removed from you know, Blake Bortles having a 27, uh, 2017 season that ultimately got him a three-year deal uh, worth $54 million. Um, really took a step back overall as a team in, in 2018. Um, that offense uh, was anemic. Ultimately, you saw the, the firing of the offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. Blake Bortles did get benched uh, for four games in favor of Cody Kessler down the stretch. Um but again, Blake Bortles under contract for the next couple of seasons. But here's the here's the the caveat. After the 2019 season, the Jaguars could release Blake Bortles. And the dead cap space, according to Spot Track, um, would just be five million dollars. So that's a, clearly a, a chance that you could see Blake Bortles start the 2019 season and ultimately give way to a rookie quarterback. I'm sorry, you know, a quarterback who will be a rookie this year. 
Um, you look at Drew Locke out of Missouri. You know, of the the, the quarterbacks, uh, Drew Locke seems to fit Tom uh, Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin's the executive vice president of football operations for the Jaguars. And if you look at at Drew Locke, it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I, I look at him, and he's that prototypical um, drop back passer, a quarterback who I think would fit well with with what the Jaguars are trying to accomplish. Uh, one year removed from you know the uh, top passer in in the SEC, over 3,900 yards with 44 touchdowns and just 13 interceptions. You know the biggest thing for Drew Locke that I thought he needed to work on because it was frankly it was kind of frustrating to watch him play um, was the completion percentage. You know I thought that he really struggled to complete his passes under 60%. Finally got it together and uh, you know completed over 62% of his passes um, as a senior, and that's really for me. If you can't com- you know can't complete 60% of your passes in college, what makes you expect that you'll be able to complete 60% of your passes at the NFL level? It just doesn't happen. Very rarely will you ever find a quarterback that's able to to do that and develop at that next level and really take it there. Um, you know, Drew Locke to me is a guy, he, he's a tremendous athlete, um, you know, former basketball player. And for me, I, I just, I see him, the, the arm strength, he's the, the, the guy that, um, I think most resembles Josh Allen. You know, he, he has the size, he has the ability to get outside the pocket, throw the ball down the field with accuracy on a line, um, 40, 50 you know, yards and, and put it on his receiver. Um, you know, a lot of times what I wanted to see last year was the touch. I thought that he he really showed more touch this year. Um, a lot of times you just saw a lot of fastballs from from Drew Locke, even when the, the throw required some touch. And uh, I thought you saw that more of that this year. You know, he does, he's able to change those arm angles and, uh, and be able to get rid of the football, um, you know, while manipulating that pocket, you know, stepping up, you know, good pocket presence, good athlete. So he's able to take off and run, you know, the footwork is a little inconsistent. It's really awkward right now. You just see, see him looking kind of weird out there at times with his, with his feet, you know, and that can kind of get him into some trouble. I think that's really where a lot of that inaccuracy in his first three years there at Columbia really kind of threw him off. Um, so the Jaguar sitting there at number seven, in my opinion, you look at the Broncos, that's the one team. If the Jags are, are looking at Drew Locke as a potential quarterback, a viable option, then uh, they're going to have to make sure that the Denver Broncos don't get him first. John Elway you know, was seen you know, in Columbia. My uncle is a, is a, a season ticket holder there for the, the Mizzou Tigers. John Elway was there in attendance watching him. You know, we also saw him at the at the Senior Bowl, keeping an eye on Drew Locke. I don't think there's any question that the Denver Broncos would love to bring in Drew Locke, um, who can take over for uh, Case Keenum, who's in the last year of his deal, his two-year deal there for the Denver Broncos. So I think Drew Locke, if he doesn't go with the Jags, he's going to Denver. And a lot of people are already saying it's almost a you know everything's pointing to him already getting to Denver. Um, the only way that happens is if the Jags pass on Drew Locke in the draft or they end up going somewhere else just based on the fact that they already have a quarterback. Nick Foles is going to be out there, for example. Um, you know, he's, he's not coming back to Philly, so there's always a chance that they could go after Nick Foles and bring him into the fold there for, uh, for that quarterback position. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see exactly what the Jags do. Um, you know, but I think Drew Locke has pretty much cemented himself as a top 10 pick. Detroit Lions hold the number eight overall pick, and I thought they really underperformed overall in their first season under Matt Patricia. You know, they, they had a top 10 defense, and that's really what Matt Patricia is known for. Offensively, man, did they struggle. Um, you know, they, 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 their passing offense ranked in the top five five times, and they ranked no lower than 12th between 2010 and 2017. Suddenly, that passing game drops to 20th in 2018. And then that running game, you know, it, it, it's finished at the back half of, uh, of, of, of the, the, the league in, during that, that same time span. And uh, yet again, there they are in the back half of the league. Um, you know, even though they do have carry on Johnson, they're at running back. Um, you know, that's, you know, something that they're really going to have to shore up. I think bringing in De- uh, Daryl Bevel to run that offense, um, he's got some weapons to play with. He's got, you know, Kenny Galladay, who's really emerged as a legitimate number one option. Um, and as I mentioned, he's got carry on Johnson. So I think the offense is in good hands. Matthew Stafford is going to have a guy who's really going to help him develop, um, you know, some chemistry there with, uh, with his offensive weapons. So I think Matt Patricia is going to use this number eight pick on defense. Now, the the secondary, you know, they, they finished with just seven interceptions on the year, three of which um, were hauled in by, by Quandre Diggs and another one by the rookie Tracy Walker. Um, the only th- other three interceptions were by Darius Slay. And Darius Slay is a playmaker there at the cornerback position, but he's going to need some help on the opposite side. Is this where Greedy Williams goes? You know, Greedy Williams, to me, is is the top corner in this draft. 6'2", kind of a slight 184 pounds. Um, and I think what you saw out of him was a lot of a lot of handsy work. He wanted to really grab onto people, uh, grab onto receivers quite a bit. Um, and, and I think that got him into trouble. So he's going to have to show that he can square guys up and turn and run, not panic. Um, get in and out of his cuts um, because he has that explosion. He has the explosive ability. There was a post play against Georgia and looked like he was beaten. And this effortless recovery speed didn't panic, able to recover quickly, gain a lot of ground, extend for that football, and knock the ball away. So Greedy Williams could be an option here, but I, I really fully expect them to look for a pass rusher here, You know, an elite pass rusher. They can't let that get away. You know, Ziggy Ansa. You know, he, he's battled injuries, you know, again, this last season. Kerry Hyder hasn't been himself since the Achilles tear took him out of the, the 2017 season. I know what that's like. Um, you know, he didn't really return to form in 2018. Um, and then Romeo Aquara, you know, was the, the sack leader for them with seven and a half. But they're all free agents. They're all free agents. So um, even if they bring one, one or two of them back, they're going to need to – um, get another edge rusher coming off the edge. You know, really, um, number two and number three on their list were, were outside linebackers. You had Devin Kennard um, with with seven sacks, and then uh, uh, Gerard Davis, their their inside linebacker, you know, got to the quarterback six times. Now, now look, their, their third round pick, uh, Deshaun Hand. I think he proved to be be a keeper. I don't think that he's necessarily a, a pass rush specialist by any means. They need somebody who's going to get after the quarterback, and this is where Cleveland Furl to me makes a ton of sense. I look at Cleveland Furl 
and uh, the way that he's able to get after the quarterback, the explosive explosiveness, um, you know, he uses his hands very well, and uh, you know, he's 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 not doesn't have the quickest first step, but uh, somebody who uses his hands very well to get off blocks. He has tremendous length as well. I mean, you saw him use that against Jonah Williams, able to beat him a couple of times off the edge using his length, using his hands. Um, you know, a season ago, 11 and a half sacks, 20 total tackles for loss, a guy who can also affect the run, um, you know, setting the edge, very stout, uh, you know, he's 6'5", 265 pounds. And, uh, to me, he, he's one of the more complete, um, edge rushers in this draft. Uh, I think he's definitely, you know, of the four defensive line prospects there for, um, for Clemson coming into the draft, I think he's the one guy that I, I could see being a top 10 pick. And uh, if I'm the Lions, I don't let him get away. You know, If, for whatever reason, Furl is not on the board, I think Montez Sweat of Mississippi State makes the most sense here. Um, but I think the Lions go pass rush. Which takes us to the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, taking number seven overall a season ago, kind of had a rocky rookie season. You know, kind of up and down. Um, a lot of the other rookies, you know, threw for more yards, uh, more touchdowns than he did. But you know, I, I think you know, and I, I write about this. Um, it's going to be in, a, in the mock draft that's going to be coming up on the on the website. Again, uh, go into a little bit more detail. But uh, in his final game of the season, he threw for three touchdowns, ran for two more, and ultimately was named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week and a forty-two to seventeen win over Miami. So when you think about that, you know, there, there is the promise that is there. You know, the, the question then remains, um, what's going to happen up front on that offensive line? You know, Jordan Mills, John Miller, both free agents um, on the right-hand side. So you may have to replace the entire right, right side of your line. Wyatt Teller, Vladimir Dukas, line at, at left guard. You know, they were underwhelming, to say the least. They kind of split time there. Uh, Wyatt Teller started off the year, and then Vladimir Dukas actually came in and, and, uh, and filled in for him. Um, and then there's Deion Dawkins, the left tackle. You know, I, I really thought that he was playing out of, out of position, really kind of thrust into that a couple of, uh, of years ago, and has been there at left tackle. Had a solid 2017, but you know, rapid decline in 2018. Really going to make you wonder you know, if, if that move to right tackle doesn't happen this year. So if that does happen, that opens a hole at left tackle. So while you know, I, I said that Washington State's Andre Dillard is the best pure pass protector in this draft, I ultimately think the, the pick is going to be the best technician in this draft, a guy who offers some versatility, can play both sides of the line, could possibly even kick inside the guard if you need to. And, and that's Jonah Williams out of Alabama. I think he's the most complete player um, on that, you know, the offensive line, a, a guy who you watch him in pass protection, very, you know, effortless with this kick slide, gets a good, good depth, very good base, um, you know, flexible in, in his hips, able to just sit down and, and ride the man away from, um, away from the pocket. If you watch him against Furl, did a really good job with his hands. You know, uh, Furl had the length on him, but did a really good job getting his hands inside, re repositioning those hands and really able to anchor and, uh, again, mirror Furl quite a, quite easily. Um, you know, not the most powerful guy at the point of attack, but a guy who I thought was very effective in the run game as well. A guy who can get out and be a lead blocker. Um, you know, the Bills... I, I wouldn't be surprised 
if they went Ed Oliver here either. You know, you've got a Kyle Williams who's you know calling it a career on the interior of that line. Um, so to me, um, you know, in a four-three scheme, there Ed Oliver being able to get after the quarterback. They just had 36 sacks. That's good for 26 in the league. You know, Jerry Hughes with seven, Lorenzo Alexander with six and a half. Didn't really see much production out of the um, the defensive line. So to me, it makes a ton of sense for them to go Ed Oliver here at defensive tackle. That's always a viable option, as is going with a receiver. You know, the top receivers right now, Zay Jones, Robert Foster, not really going to scare secondaries all that much there. And so DK Metcalf out of Mississippi got a clear, clean bill of health. You know, he's a, he's a freak. He's 6'4", 6'5", 220 pounds, um, a guy who's probably going to run sub 4'5". And it's one of those things to where when you look at some of the elite wide receivers that were taken in the top 10, you know, they're running sub 4'5", you know, at 6'3", 6'4". And uh, I think that's where, you know, DK Metcalf has a chance to break into the top 10. It's going to be right here with Buffalo. But... You've got your investment there at quarterback and Josh Allen. You want to protect your investment. Deion Dawkins is a right tackle. you got to find yourself a left tackle. So if it isn't Jonah Williams, you need to find it in, in free agency. But to me, at the end of the day, you, you got to go offensive tackle there. Which takes us to the Denver Broncos. We already talked about John Elway and uh, you know the fact that he's got an eye on, on Drew Locke at the quarterback position. But, you know, the corner back position is also an area of focus, or it should be for the Broncos. Vic Fangio's defense bringing that three-four in there. Um, you know, interceptions. You know, they're fifth in the league with 17 a season ago. You, know, you have uh, Chris Harris and Isaac Yaidam, uh, but Bradley Roby, Tremaine Brock uh, are going to be free agents, and there's a good chance that neither one of them will be back. Um, Chris Harris, obviously one of the better cornerbacks in the league. Uh, I think Yaidam is probably a good third corner. You need to really get another guy in there. And you see what the Rams were able to do with two elite cornerbacks um, in Aqib Talib and, and Marcus Peters. When you had the two of them on the field at the same time, what the Rams were able to do defensively. And uh, I think to me, it just, you know, Greedy Williams is too good to pass up at this point. Again, I did say that he did get a little handsy at times. He's going to have to prove that uh, you know he's not going to panic on on those routes. Those hands aren't going to get up and, and want to grab the receiver, um, you know, beyond the five yards. Um, so that that's something that he's going to have to work on, I think, a little bit and really prove to teams at the combine in those individual workouts. But uh, the length, you can't argue that length. Um, you know, burst onto the scene as a true as a as a true freshman. I'm sorry, a redshirt freshman. Uh, six interceptions, ten pass breakups. Follow that up with another nine pass breakups this year. Um, Greedy Williams, to me, I think would be a great pick there for the Broncos. You know, if the top three quarterbacks, if uh, Haskins, Murray, and Locke are all taken, I, I think this is too early to go Daniel Jones. It, it really is, to, in my opinion. I, I don't think Daniel Jones is a first-round quarterback. Um, you know, under 60% completion percentage. Looked a little shaky at times there at the Senior Bowl, even though he was the MVP you know, I, I didn't think he looked all that comfortable. Yes, he is a, a David Cutcliffe disciple, um, but to me, you know, he, he, he can be had 
either at the end of round one or the beginning of way you know, of, of round two. Um, so if Denver and Elway are looking for a quarterback, you know, that could be a potential option for them. But look, you know, drafting a quarterback hasn't been very successful for them. Uh, the last first round quarterback they took was Paxton Lynch, who's not even on the roster. Um, so Elway wants to get it right. And I think Drew Locke, he's looking at him saying there's there's a um, high reward and, and really a low risk there by, by taking Drew Locke. Um, you know, so it'll be now maybe the time for them to go quarterback. And maybe they do go all, all in to try to get Drew Locke. Um, I just think LSU, or I'm sorry, the, the Jaguars um, sitting there at number seven, that's where they're going to have to really, you know, they can move up in the draft. And if I'm Oakland, if Kyler Murray is not the guy, I think Oakland can make that trade, move down to 10, and then you have a ton of options there if you're Oakland. You can go Montez Sweat, get your edge rusher. You can go DK Metcalf, get your number one wideout. You know, and, and you could be stockpiling some additional picks in addition to those three first rounders. You know, that's definitely something that I could see them doing. Tampa is another team. You know, they could still potentially get Devin White at number 10 if they if they traded out of that number five position. Um, so it'll be a lot of fun getting into draft day. I'm not going to try to pick um, who's going to be trading where because that's really just kind of a crapshoot. You know, who's going to move down? What is it going to look like? Really, at the end of the day, the question is going to be who can be had, where, and when? And that might be you know, what answers that question. So we've gotten through the top 10 of my mock draft. And, uh, you know, really what we want to do is kind of take a look at, you know, these next few picks. I want to at least get through half this draft um, before we go ahead and, and call it a day. So with that said, let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, Cincinnati, um, you know, th- there, there are some question marks on both sides of the football. You look at the offensive line and, uh, you know, didn't really have much of a physical presence there offensively. You know, they have Cordy Glenn that's going to be, be lining up there at left tackle. Um, but Bobby Hart, Andre Smith playing the right side. Um, they're both free agents, as are Cedric Abwehi and Jake Fisher. Those were two... Uh, offensive tackles where the Bengals really swung and missed on uh, neither one of them lived up to the billing, you know, as first and second round picks. And uh, I don't expect them to be back. Um, you know, Cordy Glenn, you know, a guy who's battled injuries in his career as well. Um, you know, you've got Alex Redman who was playing at, at guard at times, you know, an undrafted free agent um, there at guard. Um, you know, you've got Clint Bowling who can play a variety of positions. Christian Westerman possibly playing at guard as well. Um, I, I think really what you want to do if, if you're Cincinnati and you want to find some of that physicality up front, you, know, you want to protect Andy Dalton who went down for the year, um, you know, with his thumb, with the thumb injury. You got to get tough up front, and there's nobody in this draft who is tougher than Cody Ford. You know, you want to talk about a nasty guy, 6'4", 338 pounds, the junior out of Oklahoma. Um, you know, he played right tackle for for the Sooners, and he kept Kyler Murray upright. This was a mobile quarterback, so you know, a lot of times offensive linemen will lose track, or they'll have to sit there and hold and sustain their block for uh, for multiple seconds. And 
you know, he did that. He, he would lock on to his man. He'd sit down and anchor. And that guy wasn't going anywhere. He plays phys- you know, with a physicality and a mean streak. You know, he's just a nasty guy. He's looking to maul you. He's looking to beat you up. And I think that's why he's a perfect fit inside at guard. You know, if you've got Clint Bowling and, uh, and Cody Ford on the inside, you, know, you can still you know find a tackle to play the right side. If you want to move, you know, play Cody Ford at right tackle and have Westerman slide in there at guard, you could do that. You'll have some options there up front. Now Cincinnati also has a chance to potentially go with uh, with an inside linebacker. Von, you know, Vontez Perfect. All of the concussions. There's a chance that they they may move on from from Vontez. And if that happens, and Devin White is available at number eleven you could expect them to go ahead and take Devin White. But I really think offensive line makes a ton of sense. And I, I think if you're looking at, at Cody Ford, um, you know he has a chance to be a, a top 10 pick. He's not quite on the level of, of Quentin Nelson, which is why I think he'll be just out of the top 10. But when you're looking for a mauler, you're looking for a guy who is, is NFL ready. You know, Yes, this was his first full season as a starter. Started all 14 games for the Sooners. And uh, you know he just looks to beat you up, and I think that's the physicality that the Bengals are looking for up front. Which takes us to the Green Bay Packers. Packers number twelve overall. Um, you know the Packers had to move on from Mike McCarthy. Matt Lafleur is in there uh, taking over the reins, and you know really the big question mark here is what are they going to do offensively? To me, at least, I think that's a big question mark for me. Um, offensively, 53 sacks. I mean, that was the third most given up in the league. Aaron Rodgers was just getting beat up left and right. And Aaron Rodgers, he's no spring chicken either. You know, he, this is a guy that you know you've got to protect your franchise quarterback. You've got David Bakhtiari at left tackle, who's one of the best, uh, if not the best, left tackle in the game today. Uh, Lane Taylor at left guard. You've got Corey Lindsley at center. Um, you know, a big question mark at right tackle and Brian Balaga. When Balaga is healthy, he performs very well. The question is going to be whether or not he can stay healthy. You know, and I think they needed to upgrade from, from Byron Bell, um, you know, at right guard as well. So the right side of the line, lots of question marks. So Green Bay, look, if, if Jonah Williams is there, if Cody Ford is there, those are viable options. I think uh, Jawan Taylor is another guy that they could definitely look at to, to play that right tackle position. But I think Green Bay is going to look defense. I, I really think they do. You know, defensively, they were, they were eighth in the league with 44 sacks. Um, you know, you saw Kyler Fackrell with 10 and a half sacks, you know, really having a breakout year. Um, but not really a whole lot be beyond that in terms of the overall production from uh, a particular player. You know, Clay Matthews, I think you've really seen a drop in his play uh, quite a bit. Now he's a free agent. Um, inside linebacker Jake Jake Ryan, another um, you know backer who just you know is you know just doesn't have the speed. You know, I, I think that linebacker position, both outside and inside, they're going to look for an infusion of speed. That's why Oren Burks was taken and has already you know taken over a starting spot. Um, I do think Blake uh, Blake Martinez is, is a guy on the inside that um, you know is probably going to stick as a starter there. You know, which is why I think they do go outside linebacker. I think they have to find that pass rusher coming off the edge. And Montez Sweat is not not a guy that you could necessarily say is going to be that 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 34 outside linebacker. He is 6'6 and 245 pounds. He reminds me a lot of of, of Daniil Hunter 
you know, a guy who I was expecting to really be a, a um, an outside linebacker in a three, four scheme proved to be a, uh, you know, a defensive end playing with his hand in the ground for the Vikings. You know, I think Montez Sweat has some versatility being able to do that. You know, I think you saw him um, beat up some guys there at the senior bowl, excellent hand usage, long arms. If he can play in space, I think he's going to be definitely an option there for the Packers. If you put him on one side, you have Kyler Fackrell on the other side, you'll have two rush um, linebackers who can get after the quarterback. And uh, I think that's really what the Packers need. They need to get more athletic defensively. And then what they can focus on as the draft moves along is shoring up that offensive line, making sure that you have an insurance policy if Brian Belaga can't go, that you are upgrading that right guard position. And look, Lane Taylor, he's going to have to have a better year um, than he did in, in 2018 there at the left guard position. So, um, you know, I think those are some of the areas they definitely need to focus on um, going forward. Miami Dolphins, number 13 in the draft. Brian Flores introduced as the head coach, the former uh, linebacker coach and defensive play caller for the New England Patriots. And honestly, I think they have to go defense here. You know, there's talk about Ryan Tannehill. Is Ryan Tannehill the answer there at, at the quarterback position? You can't stay healthy. You know, it always seems like there's somebody else that's starting a quarterback. Brock Osweiler um, filled in for him. He was the quarterback that was, was in in uh, in the game um, during that crazy play against uh, the New England, uh, New England Patriots. I'm sorry, he was a starting quarterback. Um, you know, he wasn't actually, you know... Um, but it's something that, you know, I'm trying to get the, the stats to pull up and my computer isn't working with me right now. Um, really want to take a look at Ryan Tannehill's contract. And spot track is not being very nice to me right now. But, you know, I, I think when you look at their, their def- on defense, just 31 sacks, that's 29th in the league. Uh, a season ago, you've got, you know, at, at defensive end, you've got, you know, Robert Quinn, you've got Andre Branch, you've got Charles Harris. Do they go with another defensive end, you know, yet again in the first round? I don't know that they do that. I don't know that that Miami is going to be looking there. You know, you have to look for that interior line presence. Um, we've talked about that quite a bit. You know, Akeem Spence and, and you know, uh, Davin Godshaw. They're at, uh, at defensive tackle. I don't think that they provide that presence up front. Here we go. Here's Ryan Tannehill. Four years, $77 million, um, expires at the end of the 2020 season. Um, I think he's going to be your quarterback in 2019 um, if you're a Miami Dolphin fan. Um, I, I think it's too high to take Daniel Jones. I don't think those other three quarterbacks will be around when the Dolphins are, are picking in thir- you know, at number 13. Um, so to me, it, it makes the most sense to look on that defensive side, and I talked about that interior defensive line presence, and nobody, um, you know, at this point is going to be that guy better, you know, fill that void or fill that need better than Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver, I'm a big fan of, of Ed's. Look, you know, this was a guy, you know, he did you know, have the knee injury um, towards the end of his uh, towards the end of his, his junior season. Prior to that, this guy virtually played every down, um, didn't want to come out of the game for Houston, even when they were up by a lot of points, you know, by, by a, couple, a 
a few touchdowns. You just didn't see Ed Oliver wanting to get off the field. Burst onto the scene as a true freshman. 65 tackles at the defensive tackle position. 22 tackles for loss. Five sacks. Six pass breakups and a couple of forced fumbles. Sophomore, another breakout year if there could be you know such a thing. 73 tackles. 16 and a half for loss. Five and a half sacks. Um, you know, won a, a variety of awards there um, for for the end of the end of the season. And, you know, as a, in 2018, yes, he played in, in just those eight games, but in those eight games, you know, 14 and a half tackles for loss took a while to get his, his, uh, his first sack, but here's, here's really why this was a guy playing in that line. He was playing out of position, you know, he's playing really over the nose and he would see two and three blockers on just about every down. And again, um, you know, the, the foot speed, being able to get into the backfield, he was the guy who would affect every single play. You had to know where Ed Oliver was on the field at all times. Um, would he get overpowered at times at the point of attack? Sure. But the first step quickness, you can't play with that. You know, that's something that is not, you, it can't be taught. You know, you just have that. There's the videos that are all over YouTube that show his, his footwork. This is a guy who has defensive back footwork for a guy who's 280 pounds. You, know, you see what type of guy uh, Aaron Donald is. He's not quite the size of Aaron Donald, um, but that's okay. You know, I look at, at, at Oliver, and if I'm a, a, a defensive coach, I can look at him and say, you know what, I can line him up all over the field. I can play him at, you know, at an outside linebacker if I wanted to show a three, uh, three-man front. I could have him line up at you know over the nose. Um, I can he can be an interior rusher in our base defense. I can put him on the outside if I wanted to, um, you know, as a as a five technique. You know, I, I think Ed Oliver has that type of versatility, and to me, it makes sense when I look at Miami. They need a guy who can spring uh, Robert Quinn, can spring Andre Branch, um, coming off the edge, and uh, it just makes a lot of sense. I think you have to go at Oliver here if you're Miami at number number 13 overall. Because if Miami doesn't take him, I think Atlanta definitely will. Atlanta sitting there at number 14. They've got Grady, Grady Jarrett, who's a, a free agent, one of the better defensive tackles, really blossomed into that guy up front. Um, you know, they've got Deidre Sinat, uh, Jack Crawford, uh, Michael Bennett there at defensive tackle. But I think, you know, with Jarrett and then also Terrell McLean, you have to address that defensive tackle position at some point in the draft. Um, you know, you look at defensive end, they've got Vic Beasley, they've got Tack McKinley, Brooks Reed. Um, so I think the defensive end position is set. Cornerback. You know, you do have uh, Isaiah Oliver, you've got Desmond Trufant. What's going to happen with Robert Alford? This could potentially be a landing spot for Grady, Grady, uh, Grady Williams if he doesn't go in the top 10. Um, you know, DeAndre Baker, I think it might be a little early for him, but there's always a chance that you could see him come off the board there. But, look, you know, when you're looking at uh, the, the, the 25th run defense, you know, at 129, 124.9 uh, yards per, uh, per, ca- per game, and 27th in the pass, you know, 259, over 259 uh, yards through the air. You've got to shore up that defense. And the way to do that is to really, you know, affect affect both um, the pass and the run. Um, and if you can find a guy who can do that against, you know, against both, then I think you got yourself a keeper. And to me, Jeffrey Simmons, 
is a defensive tackle uh, who has top five ability. I think in this draft, when you look at some of the defensive players that are ahead of him, you know, it's just one of those years. But Jeffrey Simmons, um, look, Bob Shoup, his defensive coordinator there at Mississippi State, has said that this guy's the best player that he's ever coached. You know, the best player that he's he's seen there. And, you know, I, I know that Jeffrey Simmons won't be invited to the combine because he did have the um the domestic violence charges, um, or you know, the, the situation. I think he um hit a hit a female, I wanna say, and that was before he ultimately went to uh, Mississippi State. And uh, you know, I think there was some controversy there. You know, should he have enrolled at Mississippi State should Mississippi State have said no he shouldn't enroll here at the end of the day he's been you know from from what they say at, at Mississippi State he's been the model citizen um, he's he's done done right by by the school for allowing him to come back and uh, you know on the football field this guy's a force um, you know 163 tackles um, you know six 60 plus tackles in each of the last two seasons, 33 tackles for loss, seven sacks, seven pass breakups, five forced fumbles. Another guy with tremendous burst, you know, that, that burst off the ball, his ability to, to convert speed to power to drive his man back into the backfield, violent hands. You know, I think that's one of the things with this draft that's just uh, incredible with the guys up front. Incredible hands, um, always working to get to the quarterback um, or uh, affect the play behind the line of scrimmage. Look, you know, 30 tackles for loss in, in the last two seasons, you know, including 18 as a junior. Um, you know, he was the best player on the field oftentimes there with, with Mississippi State, and he has Montez Sweat playing there. Um, you know, I, I, I look at Jeffrey Simmons is, you know, teams are going to have to do the homework. There is that red flag that uh, is going to uh, be raised. Is that going to affect him much? You know, I think that's really what keeps him out of the top 10. But I think 14, you know, feels feels right. I think that's a that's an area that um, Jeffrey Simmons can go. And if you talk to his coaches, you talk to people at Mississippi State, you know, Bob Shoup, after Jeffrey Simmons, you know, sent out a tweet regarding uh, not being invited to the combine. Bob Shoup backed him up, said that look, this is a guy, you know, best player that I've seen, and talked about him, you know, being being that guy on and off the field that you're going to want um, for your your program. So Jeffrey Simmons. You know, on the field is just a he's he's a game wrecker. You know, I've used that uh, um, that phrase to describe a few of the players in this draft, and I, I think Jeffrey Simmons is is definitely that. We'll we'll break him down a little bit more as the draft process moves along. Um, I really want to get all my notes together throughout the season for him to really speak a little bit more articulately about uh, his play. But look, trust me. Put on some game film, watch a little Jeffrey Simmons, and I think you'll be impressed. Washington Redskins. Washington Redskins number 15 in the draft. And uh, I think the real question that everybody has is Alex Smith. What is the health like for Alex Smith? Had the brutal leg injury. Uh, there was fear for a while that he may even lose his leg, the, the infections and everything else. You know, is that career threatening? You know, that's really the big question mark um, for Alex Smith is, you know, is he going to be able to return? Um, you know, I think the organization has not ruled out a uh, potential return in, in 2019, but you have to have that backup plan, you know, if, if he's not able to return. You know, so is this a spot, a landing spot for Daniel Jones? 
Um, here's why it's not, you know, in my opinion. Look, Alex Smith, we know he's 34 years of age, just signed uh, the four-year $94 million deal, $71 million of which is guaranteed. Uh, won't be a free agent until after the uh, 2022 season. And you really want to have that much money tied up in your quarterback position. You've got a quarterback right now with Smith, you know, not really sure where he's going to end up. And, uh, you know, you bring in a rookie quarterback. If Alex Smith does return, then what do you do? What situation are you in? Yes, Alex Smith is 34 years of age. He is coming off of the leg injury. Um, I don't know that that's the route that you want to go, though. I think, you know, you've got a guy like uh, Nick Foles that's sitting out there. That makes more sense to me than uh, going with a, a rookie quarterback. So that would be interesting, an interesting development there. I think what they really have to focus on is that um, if they look – uh, defense, before we get back to the offense, if we look defense, um, I think th- they've got to improve the pass rush. I think they have to look, you know, do a better job getting after the quarterback. Um, you know, they did sack the quarterback 46 times, you know, that was seventh in the league. But look, the the biggest pass rush guy was, was Ryan Kerrigan. After that, it was Matt um, Ioannidis, you know, seven, seven and a half sacks. Jonathan Allen at eight and a half sacks. You're getting a lot of production out of your 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 five techniques. You're not getting a whole lot of production out of your your outside linebackers, um, outside of Ryan Kerrigan. He's going to need a running mate. He's going to need a guy that's going to be playing with him uh, on the opposite end. This could be where uh, Florida's Jakai Polite, you know, 6'2", 242 pounds, um, could potentially be coming off the edge. Uh, there. It, it does make a lot of sense from that pass rush ability. I think he's still learning uh, how to play the run. I think he does get engulfed a lot at the point of attack and, uh, you know, struggles to set the edge. Um, but, you know, there's no doubt that that burst off the ball, um, 11 sacks in, in 2018 for Polite. Um, so there's a that's definitely a possibility here if they do look to go outside linebacker. I honestly believe, you know, th- I mean, there's a chance that they could go guard if, if Cody Ford was here. You know, Trent Williams at left tackle, Brandon Scherf at left guard, uh, Chase Rollier, um from, from Wyoming at center, M- Morgan Moses at right tackle. But you're looking at that right guard position, Luke Bowanko and, uh, you know, Tony Bergstrom kind of split time there. I, you know, I, I don't, I think they need an upgrade there at the right guard position. So that could be a spot for Cody Ford if he falls. Um, but, uh, I, I honestly, they, they look at that wide receiver position. Um, you know, uh, Michael Floyd, Carlos Henderson, Darius Stewart are all free agents on the year. You do have, uh, you know, Josh Doxson, you have Trey Quinn, uh, Mr. Irrelevant, um, you know, there at, uh, at the receiver position. You also have, uh, Jamison Crowder, um, playing receiver for you as well as, um, uh, Paul Richardson, you know, Paul Richardson, um, not the force I, I think they were expecting when he when they signed him to that five-year, uh, $40 million deal. Um, not really a guy, you know, I think he was stretching the field a little bit there for, for Seattle, but um, in an expanded role, you didn't really see him step up. Josh Doxson is kind of your red zone guy, but he really hasn't emerged as a go-to receiver. That's really what Washington needs. They need a guy who's going to be able to stretch defenses vertically, a guy who can attack the middle of the field and be a force in the red zone. DK Metcalf, if he's running sub 4-5 and I'm Washington, 
I get that playmaker at the receiver position. That's somebody that I think they need um, at uh, at wideout. They've got to. They've, they've got to get a guy who can be a number one. There isn't a number one here. So whoever's playing quarterback, whether it's Alex Smith, Nick Foles, wh- whoever it is, do you need a number one wideout to really take care of them? You've got that offensive line. If they get that right, right guard position, I think they've got the right offensive line in front of them. Um, you need to get some some weapons around whoever's going to be playing the quarterback position. Um, you know, Jordan Reed's playing there at tight end. Vernon Davis as well. Um, but you need that go-to receiver, and I think that DK Metcalf is going to be that guy. And finally, Carolina. We'll get through the first half of the first round. The Carolina Panthers, sixth fewest sacks, you know, a season ago, five point one yards per carry. Uh, Ryan Khalil ultimately retires there at the center position, so the center is is a, a position that they're going to be looking for. I actually have Garrett Bradbury, the Remington Award winner out of NC State, the converted tight end. Uh, I have him going to Carolina in round two. But we're talking round one. You know, when you look at this this line, you know the free agents, Marshall Newhouse, Daryl Williams, uh, Daryl Williams, the right tackle who's coming off of an injury. Chris Clark, you know, played left tackle. He's got an injury as well. Uh, Aminasola Talu, um, you know, as a guard, uh, Matt Khalil, what's, what's happening with him? I think his days in, in Carolina are numbered. Um, you know, he's, he's also injured, you know, the injuries there, it just, you know, you keep listing it, you know, on and on and on. I, I, I think Taylor Moten is a viable option up front, but I think that's really at the right tackle position. Um, you know, Cam Newton, you know, has a shoulder injury. There's talk that he may not even play in 2019, um, you got to protect the quarterback. If Cam Newton is in there um, and is able to play in 2019, you've got to protect the quarterback. And uh, I think that's something that that Carolina is really going to have to focus on is finding a, a left tackle. And to me, again, the best pure pass protector is Andre Dillard out of Washington State. I, I thought that. He was consistently, you know, a guy who would fire out of his stance really quickly, very patient. You know, I thought he was one of those guys who wasn't going to react to, you know, a move up the field, fall for an up, up and under, not somebody who's going to overset, very patient, gets a deep drop, uh, you know, kick slide you know, in, in that set, um, sits down, very flexible in the hips, able to bend at his knees, gets low, and just able to mirror a guy. He's going to ride a guy out of the play, shoots his hands inside very quickly, very strong, powerful hands, and a guy who, you know, with that footwork, um, when you watch him at the combine, you know, he's able to mirror, you know, just those... Uh, able to just move effortlessly laterally, and that's really what you need out of your left tackle. To me, you, you put him in there, and uh, I think Cam Newton would be very happy to have someone protecting his blind side, um, you know, with the caliber of Andre Dillard. And uh, so, to me, that makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, Andre Dillard there, if he is available, you know, he does have a chance to go in the top ten. Um, there are a lot of teams that could potentially be looking for a tackle at some point. Um, but I think 16 would be great value getting Andre Dillard there. Um, you know, to me, that makes the most sense for Carolina. If they do go somewhere other than offensive line, you know, Julius Peppers, the great Julius Peppers, I think a first ballot Hall of Famer, third in, in uh, league history in sacks. 
he's no longer, you know, he, he retired. So he's no longer a, a Carolina Panther. So finding a, a defensive end that can take his place, you know, is this where Rashawn Gary could go? Could Montez Sweat fall? Jalen Ferguson, another possibility. I think that you could see them go defensive end here. But again, protecting your investment. Cam Newton is your investment. That's that's your guy. That's your quarterback. And to me, Andre Dillard, just too good to pass up at number 16. So this is where we'll stop. We'll go ahead and cover the back half of the first round in the next podcast. Um, we'll be talking 17, the Cleveland Browns. What a turnaround with Baker Mayfield. What do they do there? I'm thinking they go defense. Just me, but I think there's a good chance that you see them go defense with this first round pick. We'll go all the way through the New England Patriots there at number 32. Um, you know, Among the fewest sacks a season ago, I think Bill Belichick may be looking for a pass rusher there. Uh, the Rams sitting there at 31. I think that inside linebacker play, um, I think that was really exposed in the Super Bowl. That middle of the defense was just wide open. A lot of those runs that were being carved up. Inside linebackers weren't even there. You saw the inside linebackers get sucked up um, on a lot of the play action and uh, passes being thrown behind them. Um, they need an upgrade at inside linebackers. So we'll, we'll talk about that there with the Rams. Devin Bush uh, of Michigan, possibly Mac Wilson of Alabama. So we'll cover that back half of the first round. We'll talk about that a little bit. And really what to expect next um, from the Ready for the Draft podcast. And uh, you know the website I'm continuing to work on, uh, breaking down uh, each of these picks. And you know, I really want to kind of bring the next thing to bring to everyone on the website is really my thought process on why a certain player will be the right fit for a team at that particular position. And then the next step will be putting all of my notes together and really breaking down each of the players. And that'll be the next step adding to that mock draft. So uh, looking forward to covering the, the back half of the first round. You can hear the thunder and, and some of the, the lightning going on here in the rain. Um, kind of peaceful, kind of an interesting little backdrop here to the to the podcast. I uh, hope you've enjoyed listening to those smooth sounds in the background. Um, hope everyone has a good week. Everyone enjoys things. Um, again, the Combine will be uh, beginning of March, so we've got a little bit of time before the Combine gets here. And uh, you know, I'll be talking about as we get closer to the to the combine, what to expect, who to keep an eye on, um, who might be some of the sleepers, who's going to be the workout warrior, and uh, you know, some of the guys that I'll be watching in the drills, in those uh, individual drills, who's going to stand out, who are the guys that really need to perform well. Um, we'll make sure that we cover all of that as well. So um, for readyforthedraft.com and the Ready for the Draft podcast, this is Greg Shoots. Until then, everyone, again, enjoy your week, and I am out of here. Take care, everyone.